Welcome to the most energetic, positive, happy, and healthy podcast in the world. Living the dream. Dream stands for diet, rest, exercise, attitude, and meaning. I'm your host, certified health coach, motivational speaker, sober since July of 2016, American Ninja Warrior competitor, two-time world record holder, and ultra-marathoner, Matt Scaletti. Here we go! Welcome back to the Living the Dream podcast. I'm your host, Matt Scaletti, and I have an awesome, inspiring person with me today. I can't wait for you to meet him. This is Eric Kolakowski. I said that over and over again, and I got it right. I'm one for one. Okay. Since his days studying mechanical and aerospace engineering at the University of Dayton, Eric has dedicated himself to the pursuit of individual and organizational excellence. In his role as a senior operations leader for Philips Health Home Healthcare, Eric inspired a highly engaged team to become a world-class operation and the region's employer of choice. Now, as a professional leader development coach, speaker, and consultant, Eric uses his private practice, Dare to Be Amazing, to help leaders create wildly engaged work teams. Eric lives near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania with his two Dalmatians, Rudy and Pete, and Victoria, who Eric recently married. So I got to say congrats and welcome to the show, Eric. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate it. I, I love the name of your show because whenever somebody asks me how I'm doing, my canned answer is I'm living a dream. <laughs> but so, you, you have to say it and mean it, Eric. You got yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I know because you're a friend. I know that you are actually living your living your dream, and we will get into that for sure. So let's just kick things off, Eric, with some of your background. And I know you're a speaker and trainer and entrepreneur now. Uh, but tell us a little bit about your background and if you were always into the speaking side of things. Yeah, sure. You know, as you read in the bio, um, I went to the University of Dayton and studied mechanical and aerospace engineer. My my dream was actually to be an astronaut. And uh, I came up short on that dream, but I did, uh, I did work in the aerospace industry for five years at Lockheed. Um, I literally was a rocket scientist. I designed rocket motors. And um, uh, the, the, uh, the nozzle and the uh, directional stability systems that, man that, that control rockets. And uh, so I was a rocket scientist for five years at Lockheed. And, and then I, uh, I held a, a, a various project management and operations leadership roles at Respironics and Phillips Home Healthcare in Murraysville, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And um, about six and a half years ago, Matt, I, I got to a point where I, I just kind of felt like I was running out of fun things to do. I mean, I'd done some great things in my 29 years as an engineer and as a leader, um, but I just ran out of fun things to do. And uh, when, I, when I pondered, what was it that made our team at Respironics and Phillips Home Healthcare so successful and allowed us to be recognized as the best manufacturing plant in the United States, it really came back around to, it was that we, we groomed leaders that were people focused, that were people centric. And so I decided that that was where my focus was going to be through my speaking and my coaching and my training uh, was helping leaders, specifically manufacturing and industry uh, leaders, 
to be more people focused rather than focusing on the numbers, focus on the people. And, and for, you know, for someone to say that an engineer is a people person is really kind of an oxymoron. So I call myself a recovering engineer because of that. I saw that on your website and that is very, very funny. I'm, I'm also yeah. excited because I can finally say I know a rocket scientist. So that's very exciting as yeah. well. Now you just need to meet a brain surgeon and you have us both. <laughs> well, I love that you're, people focus, and I think that's such a great core value to have. Can I ask you, Eric, how and when, is there a moment when you were in the corporate world where you thought, that's it, I'm done, I can't do it anymore, I got to start my own thing? Or was it a transition of side hustle turned long-term business? Yeah, so Matt, it really was um, a side hustle that turned long-term business. And the reason I went side hustle first is because it's a huge risk to walk away from, you know, at the time, uh, a 24-year career at uh, Phillips Home Healthcare. And um, so I needed to make sure what I wanted to be doing in this realm of leadership, coaching, and speaking would, would satisfy my soul and satisfy my bank account, as well as um, could I, was I able to make the impact that I wanted to. Secondarily, I also had to make sure that my wife, Cindy, was on board. And, um, you know, that I was blessed. You know, my late wife, Cindy, was incredibly supportive. And uh, so by doing it through a side hustle, she also was able to experience it with me. And so when the time came to where I really was truly running out of fun things to do at Phillips Home Healthcare, it was a relatively easy transition because I already had a book of clients I'd already been doing some speaking and um, not that it hasn't been hard work in the last six and a half years, but it wasn't a, it wasn't just a cold Turkey switchover. I had a side hustle for a while. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. I mean, you explained that so well and that's, it seemed like, as you said, I'm sure it was not easy, but a relatively smooth and great transition into your, into your current endeavor, which hopefully will yeah. last a very, very long time. What, what do you have? What advice do you have Eric for, Somebody who's watching or listening thinking, I don't really like my job. I'm not too fulfilled here. I have other skills elsewhere. Do you have any thoughts for that person? Yeah, you know, I, I think it, it for me, and I would do, give the same advice to other folks is, it's not about, if you're going to stay in the corporate world, Matt, it's not about job title. It's about what types of things do you like to do? What are you able to create results from? And how are you able to influence and help other people, whether it's customers, employees, um, suppliers, whatever it might be. And so, um, you know, the advice I would give folks is, is first thing, sit back and, and like I did and really think about and ask others. I asked my team members, I asked my, the leaders that worked for me, what is it that makes us so special? Why have we been able to accomplish what we've been able to accomplish? What's the secret sauce? I would encourage people to figure out if they are going to embark on their own, what's going to make them unique? What's going to make them different? What's their secret sauce? And what is it that they're bringing to the world that few people, if any, can bring to the world in the way they will? I'm so glad that you said that. And you're not going to believe this, but I took a training a little while back. And one of the takeaways was to ask people to tell you what you're good at and how they see you as an expert. And I never did that in my life. And it was, I did it with five people. It's insane. And I guess good and bad, but some of the stuff that comes back. So it, would you encourage people to do that? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think no matter how self-aware you are 
as a person or as a, as a business leader or whatever it might be, um, there are things that you are just so naturally good at and just are the way you do what you do that you may not have that vision. You may have a blind spot to just how special that is or how good that is. Same with the opposite too, right, Matt? You can have negative blind spots. And that's where, you know, as a coach, that's where I work with my clients on is what are those blind spots that are holding them back? But on the positive side, they're there too. And the risk of not knowing what your positive blind spots are is that you will let them go away. You won't nurture them. You won't care for them. And, and you got to do that in order to uh, make sure where you're at. So, yeah, asking others, what is it that you are best at? What is it that you stand out at? Yeah, it's not about your ego. It's not about being a narcissist. It's about, okay, what could I actually make a business out of and what could I bring to an individual or a company or an organization, a church or whoever it is that, that is truly unique? And not only in what I do, but how I do it, right? Yes, I think that's so, so, so important. And Eric, I have to ask, I'm just thinking the way that you're saying all these things, I love it. And I have so many other questions I could ask you. As an entrepreneur in, in your shoes, how are there ways that you still do that? And I guess the question I'm asking is, if you don't, do not know that you have a weakness, do you have mentors, coaches that have helped guide you along your journey? Yeah, so um, I, I have. And, you know, Matt, the way you and I met was through the National Speakers Association. And the reason I joined the National Speakers Association was to start hanging out with people who were already doing what I wanted to be doing, right? So naturally, they became mentors. When you start hanging out with people that are doing what you want to be doing, and you do it in a way as a student, not as someone who's there to just grab and take and ask and whatever, it, people will share just about anything with you. And so I continue to do that. And, and with my clients, one of the things that I do at the end of almost every meeting I have with a client is what we call a plus delta. What was good about our experience today? And what can, what can I improve on for the next time? And, uh, so, and I also lead a mastermind group of eight manufacturing executives here in Western Pennsylvania. Once a year, I have somebody else come in. We have somebody else come in because I'm a partner in crime on this one. We have somebody else come in and spend about 90 minutes with the members of this group to do that plus Delta. And we just went through that. And it gave me the best feedback I could get because I didn't recognize some of the things that the guys told me. So yeah, it's an ongoing process. That is such a great idea. I love that you just said that. And I love that you're humble enough that if somebody gives you feedback that's maybe constructive criticism, you probably welcome that. So you can always keep improving, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, and it's always about them, right? As when you take that servant leadership mentality, it's, it's, about the other people have more knowledge than you have and what can you be doing to help them be more successful than they are today. And that's why doing this plus Delta in this annual review with the, with the mastermind group is so important for us to continuously improve. Plus Delta. I love that. It's such a good idea. Eric, what's the, what's the best and toughest part of being an entrepreneur? <laughs> um, well, I think for me, it's, um, they're one in the same. And that is the best part about being an entrepreneur is I get to make all the decisions, right? 
the worst part about being an entrepreneur, and especially a speaker, Matt, with as much as we travel as speakers, or we used to anyways before COVID, <laughs> is being an entrepreneur can be very lonely. And, um, you know, especially if you're a, a company of one or a company of two or three, one, everyone is looking to you to make decisions, right? And you, it's, it's your baby. You got to make decisions. But in a business like mine where I'm a solopreneur and, um, you know, everything comes to me and I have to do everything. And so it can be somewhat lonely. And um, uh, so, yeah, I think it, for me, it's one and the same. And, and I certainly appreciated the positive side of what I just told you. It took me about a year and a half to really be able to sit back and be like, wow, I can feel pretty alone a lot of times. And, uh, you know, you're in a hotel room by yourself or you're driving to a client by yourself or you're you know, flying to a client by yourself or you're sitting in your home office and there's no one else home. Hmm. You know, it can be a lonely world. And generally, you have to be 100% of the creativity of your business as a solopreneur. And... A lot of people thrive on that. Some people don't. The people that don't should not become an entrepreneur. If you can't thrive on being the primary creative uh, mind behind your business as a solopreneur or as a very small entrepreneur with maybe one or two other people, you shouldn't become an entrepreneur because there's no one else that's going to do it. I love the show Shark Tank, Matt. Oh, me and too. I've begun watching Shark Tank Australia on YouTube. I love Shark Tank Australia. It's awesome because the that. sharks are actually kind to people. <laughs> and, uh, but the, the, biggest, the biggest reason that entrepreneurs fail when they come into the Shark Tank and most likely fail in their business is because they come in there expecting the sharks to be the creative mind and the business driver in their business, not just the money and the mentorship. They shouldn't be coming in for the money and the mentorship and the relationships and things like that. But they come in and expect others to be the creative mind and the driver, the primary driver of their business. And if that's the case, you should not be an entrepreneur. You should work for an entrepreneur, but, and then maybe you eventually learn what it takes to be an entrepreneur and then take the job. But if you aren't comfortable in being that driving force and being the, the team of one, you're not ready. You have to have so much tenacity that it's just oozing from out of your skin. I love that. And then I think that's, I would totally agree with that too. And I've never seen Shark Tank Australia. So you just gave me an idea. I got to go watch that. Yeah. Uh, but I think everything you're saying makes so much sense and it almost ties all together with the loneliness or being by yourself and then National Speakers Association where it feels like you're more of a team, even though it's different businesses. So I think it, it all rolls into one for sure. And you're talking about the tenacity, Eric. So I have to follow that up with what is, I guess I'm asking, why are you tenacious or what drives you on a daily basis? Yeah, so, um, you know, I think the biggest thing that drives me, Matt, and it really comes back to the core of what is my why, you know? And, you know, in, in the fitness business, I, I you and I both know I own a CrossFit gym in, in Plum, Pennsylvania, Rising Six CrossFit. And, and the biggest driver there is um, and in, my, and in my leadership coaching business and, and the topics I speak on is about this passion to help people change their beliefs, their mindsets, and their behaviors. More, most importantly, their behaviors, right? You, first, you have to believe before you can achieve. You have to believe in what you want to go do, and then you can go achieve it. If you switch it around, 
it doesn't really work. And that's my why. My why is, is to help people um, come to the realization that changing their behaviors is going to be the cornerstone to their success. Whether that's in leadership and becoming more people centric or whether that's in the gym, showing up, being consistent, changing your nutrition because you can't outwork a bad diet. So it's 80% nutrition, hydration, mindset, all, you know, getting your family to support what you're trying to go after, whatever it is. And so, you know, my why in answer to your question is really about being that inspiration for people to change their behaviors and those changes in behaviors then lead to success because that's what happened to me in my career, Matt. You know, my, my count, one of my taglines is, is uh, before I could help an organization change, I first had to change myself. Mm. I was the roadblock. It wasn't everybody else. It was me. And, and the same goes with what I help leaders and, and athletes with today is, you know, I, I can coach you as much as you want, whether it's in your office or in the gym. But if you don't do the right things when I'm not around, we're never going to be successful. That's a great point. That is a great point. It's, it's who you are when nobody's watching that shows who you really are, right? Right, exactly. Oh, that's so good. And, and you're leading me right into uh, – I have to ask you just because uh, since we're friends and I, I also did a little research on you, I know that, as you said, you own – a CrossFit gym, clearly you are in the fitness world. Can you speak a little bit, Eric, about how fitness slash adventure has played a huge role in your life? Yeah, so, you know, Matt, I was, for most of my life, I um, was a guy that I enjoyed riding my bike. I enjoyed, you know, maybe going for a hike or something like that. Um, there were bubbles in my life where I would work out and there were larger bubbles where I wouldn't, you know, years I would go without working out. And, um, shortly before, uh, my wife, my late wife, Cindy passed away. I decided I wanted, when my 50th birthday hit, I decided that fitness needed to become a cornerstone of who I am as a person. And even more so after Cindy passed away, fitness became, um, it became an outlet for me. And uh, it, it became kind of a sanctuary. That's a word that I've used for it, that fitness became a sanctuary for me because I had this enormous life-changing event happen where my, where my uh, wife of, of 29 years, and we'd been together for 33 years, passed away from breast cancer. And um, fitness truly became a sanctuary, not only because of the activity and what it was doing to my body, but because of the community that CrossFit creates, CrossFit is such a big community aspect to it. And, um, and then from that sprung this idea of adventure that I really wanted to see what I was worth. I really had this desire to, to have something that could give back to me because, uh, you know, I was living this solitary life and I needed something to give back to me. And so I found adventure. So I started, I started uh, long distance cycling. I started doing triathlons. Then I started doing adventure triathlons. Um, I discovered adventure racing and got into adventure racing and, um, and made tremendous lifelong friendships through all of these adventures. And then in 2018, I summited Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa and, um, and today, you know, continue to do, uh, do these types of things. And, and what it does for me is that by setting those goals, 
but more importantly, by what we just talked about, Matt, changing and holding myself accountable to my behaviors so I can achieve what I need to achieve. When I summited Mount Kilimanjaro, it was a five and a half day journey to get to the summit. So you couldn't be focused on just the summit. It was five and a half days uh, and, you know, 40 some miles away to get to the summit. We had to break each day down. So, okay, today, what are we going to do? This is our clothing. This is our hydration. This is our nutrition. This is how much sleep we're going to get tonight. And for tomorrow, this is our plan that we have. Um, you know, and, and we, I had to make sure I took care of my feet so I didn't get any blisters and, and so on and so on and so on, right? And then that evening, our guide would give us the lowdown on what tomorrow is. And then there was a whole other plan we had to put together. But the summit was still not even on our mind. And so it was managing those behaviors. And so what fitness and adventure has really taught me is that managing your behaviors and setting your expectations for being resilient was very important. And Matt, I'll, I'll share this last thing with you and then I'll, I'll let you get on your next question. But, so good. but um, when I was training for my first adventure race with a friend, Amanda, she saw something in me that she needed to, talk to me about. And that's what I love about Amanda. She's one of my best friends in the world. And I met her through adventure. And she said to me, Eric, I think I know what your problem is. I said, okay, I'm all ears because you're a champion. She said, you just don't know how to suffer enough. Oh, that's good. You talk about advice for an entrepreneur too, right? You just don't know how to suffer enough. If you don't got the tenacity, you're going to quit too early. And Amanda said to me, Eric, you just need to learn how to suffer more. You need to learn how to suffer more. Stop quitting so early. Stop complaining so quickly. <laughs> you need to learn how to suffer more. Game changer, Matt. Absolute game changer in mindset for me in my entire life, in everything I do. I love that. Yeah, you just need to learn how to suffer more. Because we as humans are built to do so much more than we allow ourselves to do. And Amanda, Amanda knows how to suffer more than anybody I know in my life. And, um, you know, it, uh, um, but that advice to me was gold. You that is gold. Learn how to suffer more. You just don't suffer enough. That's so gold. And I, my mind just going to all these different, I mean, you cannot feel, uh, I would think in order to have any big success and to feel good, you have to go through some suffering, right? At least a little bit. That's sure. such a great takeaway. Oh, and there's so many gems in there. We're talking about fitness. And I think for those of you that do not, if you do not work out a whole lot, as you outlined, Eric, it's not just about making your body look better. There's 40,000 other great positive takeaways like mindset. And, and like you said, meeting other people through these adventures. There's so many great takeaways in there. And Mount Kilimanjaro, I have to ask you, and we could talk about that on a whole other podcast because I can't even imagine that one. What's What's the one Well, you gave us one great takeaway, which is one day at a time and don't look too far ahead. Focus on the present moment. What's what's another thing you learned through that adventure? Because I'm sure that was unbelievable. Yeah. You know, the um, not that I didn't know this, but it was a true um, ingredient that helped with the success. Our three primary guides. Now, you got to understand, Matt, there were nine of us athletes climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. We had a team of 37 men supporting us. Think about wow. that. We had three guides and 34 Sherpas helping us on this adventure, right? Wow. And our three guides collectively had summited Mount Kilimanjaro over 600 times. 
collectively, right? So these guys knew what they were doing. They had seen everything. They had seen every one of us before, right? They had seen every possibility. So um, when you're in a situation where you know very little about what you're going into, the, it wasn't so much a lesson I learned, but a the lesson that I need to use more, and that is rely on the folks that have been there. Mm. Help them help you to be successful. And that's that whole going back to what we talked about with NSA, right? Hang out with people who are already doing what you want to do. On that, in that instance, we hired guides that had worlds of experience. And there was nothing that they were going to see in us that they hadn't seen before. And um, I'll, I'll take one minute and give you just a great example of that. So summit day, we leave camp at midnight. We're, camp is at 15,600 feet. Summit is at 19,341 feet. And we leave camp at midnight. And the coldest part of the hike is going to be at about 4 in the morning. And where it got down to 20 below on the mountain. Oh, my God. We're trudging through snow and, and whatever, right? And so I'm carrying, I'm carrying my day pack. I got my water. I got my snacks, any extra food or whatever. But for crying out, I had every stitch of clothing on that I brought with me. You know? <laughs> because this journey starts out in a rainforest oh. and ends in the tundra. In the Arctic, you know, zone up here on that. So anyways, 17,000 feet, one of the guides, Michael, comes up to me and says, hey, Eric, let me carry your backpack for you. I said, no, Michael, I got it. A little while later, he comes up, hey, Eric, let me, let me take your pack. It's going to make it a lot easier for you. No, I, I got this, Michael. I'm good. I'm good. Take somebody else's. I got this. Because on adventure with my friends, I'm always the one carrying, carrying somebody else's pack. No one's carrying my pack. No one had ever carried my pack before, ever. Love it. It wasn't about to be that moment. <laughs> well, about three more times of him asking me, and the last time was at 18,970 feet, and I know that because I looked at my altimeter on my watch, 18,000 uh, uh, feet or so, and, and um, he says, Eric, I'm done asking you. Give me your pack, and he walked up. He unsnapped the chest strap, unsnapped the belt, took it off my back, and said, this is going to help make you successful and get to the top. Oh. And he carried my pack the rest of the way. And after we got back down to, to base camp again at 15,006, I realized that was the right thing to do. And that he was trying to help me just like I try and help others. And so it gave me yet another example of where when, when you combine your efforts with other people, you can achieve more than you can by yourself. And Michael was that perfect example that, that morning for me. Because I was oh. suffering. It was tough, man. I, that is the toughest physical thing I've ever done in my life. I was suffering. I can't even fathom. And that is a great takeaway. I had no idea what story you were going to tell. That's a good yeah. one. Yeah. I'm not going to forget that one. That's a really cool oh, – what, what a great experience. I can't even imagine the feeling when you finally get up there and it's just like you got to feel like you're the king of the world. Yeah, it was great. You know, we were only up there 15 minutes because of the altitude and, you know, your body's dying when you're at altitude like that. Plus it was 20 below and, and it was really cold. But um, yeah, it was, um, I'm looking at a picture right now, literally right above my computer here of us approaching the summit. And, uh, you know, it's, it'll likely be the greatest physical accomplishment I ever have in my life. Oh, that's so good. I don't know if I agree with that because Everest or something's got to be next, right? No, it can't be. No, <laughs> no. My, uh, my, my body won't allow it. So okay. I, uh, um, Mount Kilimanjaro is my summit. That's my Everest.
I love it. That is, that's such a cool story. I hope to do that at some point in my life as well. Yeah, you uh, can do it. <laughs> so to switch gears a little bit, but I think this is such a big topic. You've been a professional speaker, also leadership coach on the speaking side. And I, I write it down as I smirk to myself because the number one fear in the United States, I believe, is still public speaking. And for those of you listening and watching, I've seen Eric speak. He is a master at this. He knows what he's doing. He's confident. He's extremely well-spoken. And my question is, has Eric always been like that? Or was this a process to get to the, I don't want to say comfortable. Maybe you are extremely comfortable, but I'm sure there's still some nervousness before you speak. But can you talk to the process of the beginning of your speaking life until now? Yeah. So, you know, whether it's Matt through Throughout all of the years I've been speaking, and it probably goes back about 20 years because I've spoken at a lot of manufacturing and technical conferences and things like that when I was an employee, but it doesn't matter whether I'm speaking to, you know, seven people at a, a, a men's church group or, or a thousand people during a keynote. I am nervous every time before I go on stage. In fact, I pray every time before I go on stage. And the primary crux of my prayer is to give me this – the uh, strength and the courage to be who my audience needs me to be and to be able to handle anything that happens that I don't expect. That's so right. So I, I, I find, you know, I'll be greeting people as they're walking in, but when I know it's just a couple minutes before I'm going on, I'll go find an isolated spot all by myself and I will pray silently um, before every speech, regardless of what it is. And um, so I was always able to overcome my, um, I am a painful introvert, Matt, and it doesn't show here, but I am a painful introvert. Doesn't show. Um, that event that you and I met each other at a few years ago was extremely difficult for me because I knew nobody. Mm. And I would have never come up to you. You came up to me. <laughs> I did. There was a reason. You just had this way about you. I had to meet you. Yeah. I'm so glad I did. <laughs> so, you know, um, somehow with speaking, I've been able to overcome that painful introversion because... I, um, I feed off the audience and I feed off of them seeing their light bulbs go off. But what hasn't always been as, as relatively easy as it is now is figuring out how to make that connection, that undeniable, unforgettable connection with the audience. That is what I've had to work on over the years and what I continue to work on. And so for the craft of speaking, that's me. Because oftentimes I'm speaking to a room full of introverts. <laughs> true, that's true. In the field I'm in with manufacturing and engineering, I'm speaking to a room full of introverts or mostly introverts. And so that's something I continue to work on. Um, but the ability to stand up in front of an audience and so forth has come naturally for me. Yeah. But making that connection is, does not come naturally. Okay. And, and I'm, I love how you said, Eric, that you are an introvert and I'm sure there's at least one introvert listening or watching this. And here's proof right here that this man is an introvert and extremely successful speaker. So don't feel like if you're an introvert, it's over. You have a big opportunity right. in your own way, I'm sure. And, and what about the person listening, Eric, that's thinking, man, I wish I just could get my point across better in front of a, an audience, whether it's family, friends, or 500 people. Do you have any advice for someone who just needs a little bit of help to get over that hump and maybe that fear? Yeah. So I, I think, um, 
oftentimes uh, when we're speaking, especially in, in the fields that I do, um, we want to fall back on data, technology, um, you know, the, the, the structure, the project management, whatever it might be, right? That all of this, and we have all this in our head, where the people in your audience are really trying to find that you are speaking specifically to them. And so you need to think about emotionally what is going to engage the person that um, is listening to me. What is it that's going to make them feel like he's talking to me? And most often what it is, is showing humility and vulnerability. You know, one of my key, key speeches and key training programs that I give is about how I was a failure as a leader when I first started being a leader. And what were the five myths of great leadership that I fell prey to and that I had to overcome in order to make that pivot, right? And um, so it really, I think a big piece of it comes down to um, how can you be vulnerable with your audience? What is it that they're, that they're looking for? They don't want to hear what you know. They want to hear what's going to solve their problem. Mm. So whenever you're going into a speech or going into a program, the prep you need to do up front with your host or your sponsor or the person that invited you is, is asking them, help me understand what the problems are that the people in the audience have that they would really like some help solving. Mm. So that you can walk into that environment, whether it's your family, your church, a company, a conference, having people while you're speaking feel like, man, he understands us. Right? Walk around yeah. the trade show floor and talk with some people. Listen to the five speeches that came before yours. I always do a callback to someone or someone's that spoke before me. You know, just like Jack said when he was talking about continuous improvement, blah, whatever, right? Oh, yeah. I always do that callback. One, it gives them a good, good prop, you know, but it also helps people realize, hey, we, we kind of know what you're doing. But that emotional connection is so important. And, um, yeah, it, um, so it requires some vulnerability. It requires you to err a little bit about how you're not perfect. I love you know, that. People see a speaker standing up there and they think, oh, my, what a life. This guy's got it. They're an expert. They've got it all going on. But, see, what we see in others is their highlight reel. What we see in ourselves is our blooper reel. <laughs> it's true. It's so true. Right? And Yes. So be careful. <laughs> that's, oh, be that's, kind to yourself. I think that's a great takeaway too. And that's so true. We see others highlight real. We see our own blooper real, which is very true. Yeah. Uh, so we talked about this transition you made corporate world into your own uh, business. You've been in it over six years. What do you feel your purpose is, Eric? And you could answer that from the business speaking, coaching standpoint, personal standpoint, fitness standpoint, however you want to answer it. Yeah, you know, it it's, goes back a little bit to what we talked about earlier, Matt, and that is that helping people change what they believe, helping people change their mindsets, and in turn then helping people change their behaviors. You know, this idea of you have to believe before you can achieve that's really what my purpose is, is helping people believe it's going to be okay. 
you know, in the CrossFit gym, we face this all the time with people that have never done CrossFit before. Their idea of CrossFit is what they've seen on ESPN in the CrossFit mm -hmm. games. Yeah. And, uh, that's not at all what a CrossFit gym looks like. Anybody and everybody can do CrossFit. I could get my 86-year-old father doing CrossFit. So, you know, but what it takes first is people believing that it's okay if I'm doing it in a different way than the person next to me. I was coaching a class on um, Monday afternoon, and there was a guy named Tony. He's a fairly new member in our gym, and he was starting a really difficult piece of the workout, and he felt like he was behind. Mm. And on rep one, he looked around, and on rep two, he looked around, and I walked up. I said, Tony, look straight ahead. No one else is in the room. They don't care what you're doing. Don't care what they're doing. It doesn't matter. You're the only one that's going to make it possible. Mm. And just stop looking around, man. And then afterwards, he and I had to talk about it. But um, it's because mentally he's not fully there yet. He doesn't feel like he belongs yet, right? Mm -hmm. So we continue to work on it. But my purpose is to help people shape their beliefs and their mindset so that they can shape their behaviors and be more successful, whether it's in the gym or in business, in family life. You know, it, it, undoubtedly, I always get into conversations with people about life coaching yeah. and whatever. And, and uh, so, yeah, we, we laugh a bit, we cry a bit, and we move on. <laughs> well, I, that's one of the things I think I admire about you is you seem like your life is so, I keep thinking about aligned. Like, it just feels like it's aligned with business. And now you can relate a lot of your speaking and coaching to coaching CrossFit. And then I'm sure that flows over into the relationships too. Would you say you feel like your mission purpose is all aligned in your life? Yeah, it really is. You know, and it's, 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 it's uh, always a work in progress, right? Because life events happen. You know, um, I, I lost my wife four and a half years ago. I lost my mother six months ago. Um, oh, you know, sorry. COVID has happened, you know, uh, I'm getting married and you know, all these things are happening. And, um, so it's a constant work in progress, but it, you're right. If you, if you have that core belief that by just being myself, I'm, I am who, who both I and others in my life need me to be. The other day at dinner, two days ago, two nights ago, I asked Victoria, so what do you think it is that's made us work so well? And, uh, you know, we met two and a half years ago and we connected very, very quickly. And, and she said, I think it's because from day one, we created what we have simply by being ourselves. Oh. We didn't have to put up a facade. And I think that's when you know you're aligned, that by just being yourself, you feel good about your life. You have the relationships and the friends and the success that you want. And you are prepared to face the unknown and the unknowable. It's always a work in progress, but man, oh man, Matt, you've got to be so intentional about it. You know, when, when, uh, uh, when my life had a big event change four and a half years ago, I had to be intentional about the fact of, and I know you'll appreciate this, there's a difference between moving on and moving forward. Ooh. Moving on implies that you're leaving the past behind, right? Yep. Moving forward means you bring all the past with you while you're creating your path going in, in the forward direction, and um, good and bad, right? And so in deciding to move forward from, uh, from adversity rather than move on and deciding to be resilient rather than a victim is what helps you with alignment and helps you get those people and those processes in your life that make you successful.
That is, and that is it's not a bunch, you know, that sounds like a bunch of textbook sort of crap, Matt, but you know, as I look back over the last five years of my life, this was the, this was the golden buzzer for me, you know, of just realizing resilience is huge. It's a gift. And I have to be intentional about where I'm going forward with. I can't just allow life to happen. It's a gift that my late wife, Cindy, and, and the good Lord gave me in the last five years. I know. I think that's a great, that's such a powerful way to say that. And I, I love how you used, I think on purpose, the word deciding, like you made the decision to, and I really like that move forward and not be a victim because I mean, one of the other things that I admire about you is I mean, you've clearly had some, some huge setbacks and difficult times and you've made the decision to actively push forward. And it's, it's incredible, really, to see that, how strong and resilient you are. My decisions aren't, aren't good for everybody. You know, my decisions work for me, and, and, I, and I'll share this with you, Matt. As early on, maybe about three or four weeks after uh, Cindy passed away, a friend, friend and I were talking on the phone, and, and he said, uh, Eric, you can't let anybody else tell you how you should feel. Oh. And that was a great piece of advice that, that he gave me. Uh, it allowed me to do exactly what you're talking about, right? If you put 50 guys who all went through the adversity I went through four and a half years ago, or you put 50 guys who have gone through what you've gone through, right, and, and the comeback you've had in your life, we might take 50 different approaches and all 50 are right for us. That's a great point. But the thing is, is that you make a decision to be intentional about where you're going, whatever that is. And it's okay to decide to be happy. It's okay. No matter what the adversity is, it is okay to decide to be happy. That is a beast of a takeaway right there. That is, that's a great piece of advice on your, your friend that gave you that advice. Wow. Yeah. Okay to decide to be happy. Wow. That's well, I mean, and we could, we could talk for a long time about how you live your life without constantly worrying about other people's opinions of you. It seems like you have that mastered pretty <laughs> darn good, which is impressive as well. Cause that's this just, is what I, this is, this is it, man. This is who I am. <laughs> Unapologetically you. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Eric, you've clearly had many, many successes and you currently are extremely successful in your speaking and coaching. Can you give us, one or more, if you want, habits that are non-negotiables for you, and it could be daily, weekly, whatever you want to talk about, that have led to some of this success? Yeah, you know, uh, one of them is absolutely fitness. You know, fitness is a must-have in my life. That has become a non-negotiable for sure. Secondly is, is time with family. You know, I, um, I'm very close with my family. You, Matt, know some of my family. And... Mm -hmm. um, I'm very close with my family, and that's, that's a must, too. I, I really enjoy uh, spending time with, with my family. And the third is that I have such an attraction and an attachment to the great outdoors. There are certain places in this world that just I feel like that's where I belong, and it all has to do with the surroundings, right? That's a non-negotiable as well. You know, I, I don't meditate. I don't drink coffee. I, you know, I don't do, uh, you know, some standard normal morning routine sorts of things. You know, my normal morning routines, the only thing that's standard every morning is I get out of bed. Everything else after that is whatever the day requires, right? 
And, uh, but um, so step number one is get out of bed. And that's a good day when I can do that. I'm with you on that. I totally agree. <laughs> okay, last one, and then we'll roll into the final five here. How, how are you, and I think this is just a timely question, clearly we're still, uh, COVID is still going on here in the United States. How have you, pivot is the word, seems like the buzzword, but how have you adjusted or not adjusted to what's going on and how have you remained to use your words, how do you keep moving forward despite some of these crazy times we're in? Yeah, I think two things, two things, Matt, specifically with my business. Um, I do a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching with, with leaders and my desire has always been to do that in person. So I put on a lot of miles every week driving around to my clients because most of my clients are in Western Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And um, so I'm, you know, if they're within a two hour drive, I go to them Wow. Um, for their coaching. COVID said that wasn't an option. Um, I had to start doing everything virtually. And in the past, I believed that virtually couldn't be as, success as successful. I have, together, we have proven that it can be successful and we've done a good job. And I've, I've changed some of my approach. I've changed some of my expectations and prep that they have to do before coming into the coaching session. And I've also changed my follow-up with them afterwards. Um, but pivoting from in-person to virtual uh, coaching sessions has been, has been one uh, big pivot for me. You know, the other thing is, is that really in, with a lot of my clients, their hour by hour business life has changed because many of their employees are working from home. They're not sitting in rooms in meetings. And in fact, they're in less meetings. They're not going to visit customers. So I've had to be very intentional about pushing them and getting them a bit more uncomfortable with really stretching, trying to stretch what they're doing. Now's the time to get on that stuff that you never had time to do. Hmm. Well said. So, you know, I've, I've always been cautious about pushing too hard in the past, and now I'm not. I just, I push hard because I know they have the bandwidth to do it. Oh, that's really good. And because you need to learn how to suffer more, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. right. You're just not suffering enough. <laughs> I love that. I think I might have to. Yeah, man, that's, that's all you. That's, that's all so you. good. That is so good. All right. Let's get in. Are you ready? I call this the final five. It's like a rapid five questions that will fire off to end this thing. Are you ready? Let's do it. Uh, you know what, before we do that, how can people connect with you, Eric? Is there a way that people can look you up and see what you're doing and maybe potentially hire you if they need some help in the coaching space? Yeah, so my website is uh, daretobeamazing.com, all written out, daretobeamazing.com, and, and my email is eric at daretobeamazing.com, uh, and um, – those are the two easiest ways to uh, get a hold of me. I'm not an Instagram guy. My Facebook's all private just because of the nature of my business. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I, um, somebody's just looking for someone to go for, with a bike ride. So yeah, let's, let's go for a bike ride somewhere. So we'll do, I, I've done coaching sessions while out on kayaks. Oh, that's great. I, I love that. That, that uh, Jim and I have gone out kayaking a few times and done, done some mentoring sessions and some business discussions while we've been out on kayaks. So, um, and I've done some, some one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions out on kayaks. So, um, whatever folks want to do, but yeah, that's how they can get a hold of me. That's a great idea on the kayaks. And, yeah. and then they can't really leave you if they don't like what you're saying, they got to stick around. 
Exactly right. And if I don't like their answer, I can tip them. So it's all good. <laughs> I love it. Dare to be amazing.com. I'll put that in the show notes too. So Thanks. that is perfect. All right, here we go. Final five. We've got to hammer these out because Eric, as he told me, he's hitting the CrossFit gym right after this. So I got to respect his time. All right, here we go. How do you want to be remembered, Eric? You know, that, that question is one that um, I'm – more inclined to ask others, but I never think about myself. And so you made me think about myself and how I would like to be remembered is as someone who cared about what others needed. Every time I get up off the couch and every time she gets up off the couch, Victoria and I both ask each other, do you need anything? What can I do for you? And in my, in my life, I, I try and do the same thing as, as much as possible. It's just kind of be like, a, what, what else can I do for you? beyond the, the obvious things of being a good husband and a good uncle and, and whatever. Um, it's really about helping make sure other people have what they need. Oh, that's such a great answer. I'm sure that's a huge reason why your relationships are so good and your business is thriving because you just care, you care about the customer so much. I love it. What are you most thankful for? There are three things that I wrote down here, Matt, and I think you would appreciate all three of these knowing you. Um, family. I have a very wonderful relationship with, I'm blessed in having four families, Matt. I have my family. I have my late wife, Cindy's family. I have my new wife, Victoria's family. And I have my family at the CrossFit gym. <laughs> and so I'm blessed. Family is big as well as friends because friends fall into all that. And then the other thing is really second chances. I am really thankful for um, choosing to have, to build a second chance for myself after after um, Cindy passed away, I could have played the victim. I could have just sat back and done nothing. Um, same with in my business. You know, when I started running out of fun things to do, I could have just said, hey, I'm just going to ride it out till I'm ready to retire. <laughs> but second chances is I'm, I'm very, very thankful for that. Yeah, second chances. That seems like a, one of the themes of Eric's life right there. That's incredible. Sure. Well, plus I think it's also the perspective, the way that you uh, – react to the things that are happening. I mean, it's just incredible to me how resilient you are. And I have so much respect for that. Uh, okay. My favorite question, Eric, is if I see Eric at a wedding reception and he's dancing, what is his go-to dance move? All right, Matt. So I got one here for you. So <laughs> when people ask me, what's my favorite cookie? My answer for them is my favorite cookie is the next one I eat. <laughs> Cause I love cookies, right? Same with the dance move, brother. What's my favorite dance move? The next one you see me making. <laughs> That's my favorite dance move. Oh, I've asked that to a lot of people. I've never heard that answer. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, that's good. All right. What's the, biggest, what's the biggest obstacle you have overcome, Eric? Yeah, so, you know, we've talked about it a bit here, and it's, it's um, you know, watching, watching my late wife, Cindy, go through the journey that she went on, and and, um, you know, seeing what she had to do and, and uh, completely being unable to rationalize what was going on uh, to her, right? She had an, uh, an unfortunate journey that she had to go on and, you know, having to watch that and then rebuild, so to speak, and make the decision to rebuild from that is the biggest set setback I've had to overcome. And, and you know, but, but here's what I learned from that. Cindy was almost purpose-built to face adversity. 
Hmm. And if you didn't know she was facing adversity, you wouldn't know she was facing adversity. Wow. Regardless of what stage of her journey she was on. And so she taught me about resilience, which you just talked about, but she also taught me that keeping my life simple is a blessing. You know, today, Victoria and I have, have created a relatively simple life for ourselves. We're very simple people. COVID really hasn't affected us much because we really didn't go out much and, and do all that. So it's, you know, it is what it is. But yeah, looking forward rather than moving forward rather than moving on, Matt. Yeah, that's such a, a great phrase that I, I want to think about more. I appreciate you sharing that because your story is just, it's, it's unbelievable. Okay, the last one is... Who is your hero? Yeah, so, you know, I, when I think about hero, I, I always think about who is that person that if you could emulate some aspects of who they are, life's going to be a blast, right? Life's going to yeah. be good for you. And, and for me, and, and it has been my entire life, Matt, it's my dad. Um, you know, my dad's not only my hero, he's my best friend. He's just a good dude. <laughs> you know, he's just a good guy. He was a great dad. He and I had a lot of fun together. Every Tuesday after work, we would go fishing. And uh, he and I fished together uh, for 30 years, 40 years. And um, I was always down in the garage helping him fix stuff. I was always uh, working on the cars with him. I was doing whatever, right? And uh, down at grandma's, helping him fix grandma's water heater or whatever it is, right? And what I saw in him and how he treats people and how he has created a family. When I say that, that, I'm very close with my family. It's because mom and dad created that expectation of us and that reason why. And so, yeah, you know, I know my brother and I, my brother Tom and I both say that our dad's our best friend and it's for all, all the right reasons. Oh, that's such a great way to end this. And I appreciate you sharing that as well. This is Eric Kulikowski. I appreciate your time. You're a warrior and an inspiration to me and I'm sure a lot of others after hearing this. So thanks for sharing all of that and thanks for coming on the show. No problem, Matt. Enjoyed having you. Have oh, a yeah. time to spend with you. No, get after it at the CrossFit gym. It's go time. All right, thanks. <laughs> thanks for listening to another episode of Living the Dream with Matt Scaletti. I'm so grateful for you. Please share this podcast on your social media so others can benefit from this valuable content. Also, please subscribe to my podcast because if you aren't, I am watching you. (laughs) Check me out on social media and message me if you need me as your keynote speaker. At Matt Scaletti on social media. I respond to all messages. Thanks and I love you so much. Oh, 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 oh,